Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. Speak about defeated by an imagination. I think your imagination is incredibly powerful. And it should be no surprise to anyone that the Bible tells us that the way that we think is crucial. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 10 starts off by saying this, And in this I give advice, it is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion of out of what you have. Now, he's speaking about an offering that this group of people have received to bless the Christians that are in great need. But there's a great principle in here that I want to speak about this morning. Verse 12 goes on and says this, listen to it. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what that person doesn't have. The Greek word here for mind, the willing mind that I just mentioned and emphasised, the Greek word here for mind does not mean your analytical data-driven centre of logic. In other words, it's not speaking about the processing centre of the information that comes to your life, but it is actually the word for it, one of the meanings of it is your predisposition. In other words, it's the way that over time, You have developed a mindset the way that you have developed your thinking capabilities and capacities. It's actually saying it's that that holds the key to what comes after. And as basic as it may be or as cliched even as it might sound, it's good to be reminded, I think, that an effective life and a successful life begins with the right disposition. It says, first, there's a willing mind. Before anything else, there's gotta be the right disposition. Now in a crowd this size and to the people watching and listening as well, because I know that there's literally hundreds of people that are not in this building and this is their church. We got the stats on that just this week. So welcome to all of you and thank you for being a part of our service this morning. But uh, I know that in a crowd this size, there'd be many of us here that today, because of what's just gone on in the last week, our disposition has perhaps got a little bit shaky or maybe we are uh, here today with the right disposition so that God can move in our life. But without the right disposition, opportunity will go unnoticed. I'm reading a book at the moment about, well, it's actually about uh, the trend now towards generalisation rather than specialisation. Might sound like a strange book to read, but I like strange books. What can I tell you? And uh, I read last night about a group of people that started up a a, a centre for problem solving called InnoCentre. And what they do in InnoCentre is they don't ask the brightest and the best. They actually ask people who've got nothing to do with that particular field of expertise. And so it was a lawyer 
who discovered how one of the major pharmaceutical companies of the world, that all of their experts, all of their chemists, all of their uh, amazingly highly trained people had worked for over a decade and couldn't solve it, but they ended up farming it out through this thing. This guy got paid 30 grand for coming up with the answer to a problem they hadn't been able to solve for nearly 20 years. And this entire thing is out of that. Why? Because the people that were in the company had a disposition that says, I know the formula, I've been to the course, I know how this works. And a guy who's a lawyer, who's got no training in pharmacy whatsoever. He's the guy. They say the number one expert of it uh, in the whole history of it, who solved more problems than anyone else is a man in China who works in the area of data processing. But he solved all these problems way out of his area because he says, I've got all this time to think when other people are you know, having to burrow down, he says he's kind of got a lot of time on his hands. Well, I think the reason partly is that when you've got the right disposition, you see opportunities where other people see none. The, without the right disposition, the best idea. How many people here have ever known the right answer for somebody that you loved and you were trying to help, but they had the wrong disposition? And so your great advice, you were right. But they couldn't hear it. Why? Because their disposition. No, that won't work. No, don't bother. Well, I've tried that. Well, that won't happen. Without the right disposition, truth gets overlooked in our life. How many people here have ever tried to tell someone about the great love of God, but without the right disposition? Jesus spoke about this in the parable of the sower. He says, it's actually not the seed alone that matters. He says, the power of the fruit is actually in the soil. Amen. So you're with me here. All right, you're gonna have to think a little bit today. Because I'm going to talk to you about the predispositions of Jesus. As Jesus went through His three and a half years of earthly ministry, what were the things, the ways that He thought? What was His predisposition? Which was obviously drastically different to what everybody else's was. Let's go to John 9, verse 1. John 9, Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Here we are, verse, chapter 9, verse 1. Now as Jesus passed by, He saw a man who was blind from birth. And His disciples asked Him, saying, Rabbi. They're not saying, Jesus, Son of Mary, what's your opinion? They're saying, you're a rabbi. We recognise you as one of the great pantheon of our teachers, one of the great conduits of God's truth. We recognise your role in that. They're asking a question about Jewish theology. Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents said, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. The night is coming when no one can work as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay 
And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. It was about one and three quarter miles away. That's about three Ks. So it's a fair distance. I've checked it on a map. It's a long way to send a blind man with clay in his eyes. Walking along, feeling your way through the houses. Obviously, Jesus must have known this man knew the way to get there. And he sends the guy there. He says, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated, the meaning of the word is sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The predispositions of Jesus, number one, is a predisposition to answers. All through the ministry of Jesus, you've seen people arguing. The Pharisees argued with Jesus. The scribes argued with Jesus. People seemed like everywhere Jesus went, there was a debate. When the man was lowered down through the roof and the, the paralysed man, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you. And they start doing what? Nobody says, well, isn't that great? His sin's forgiven. They start arguing about it. Everything Jesus does, when His disciples go through the fields and get some of the wheat because they're hungry and eat it, they all start arguing about it. They start arguing when the woman's caught in adultery. They start arguing about because they want to do it. When they start saying, well, should we pay taxes to Caesar, our Roman oppressor or not? They argue about it. These people in this story are very happy to talk about the problem. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? But Jesus is focused not on who did what and where and why. His focus is on an answer to the problem. All of Jesus' life and ministry was about answers. He turns water into wine because they've run out. He feeds 5,000 because they're hungry. He calms the storm because they're afraid. He heals the sick because there was no remedy. He fills the fisherman's net because they've toiled all night and caught absolutely nothing. He forgives the woman caught in adultery because what she needed was not another rule from the rule book. What she needed was mercy for her life. He pays Peter's tax with a miraculous catch of a fish with a coin in it. It seems to me that if you read the Gospels, that all of life's disposition for Jesus was about bringing answers to people's problems. And I don't know about you, but I read that and think that and see that. And I say, oh God, let me be that kind of person. Let me be the kind of person who doesn't go who and what and where and why and isn't that terrible? I don't know, so much of our life seems to be more and more. I said to Rhonda the other day, my wife, we were watching something on one of the major news channels and I said, think about all the people that are paid to do nothing more than talk about the problem. They're not solving anything. They're just talking about it. There's a lot. We've got 24-hour news and how many channels do you want for that? But Jesus had a predisposition to bring answers to people's problems. Are you and I going, you know what? If there's a problem, what kind of answer could I be a part of to that there?
Here's the second predisposition. First one's the predisposition to answers. Second one is the predisposition to helping other people. Helping others, as simple as that is. Matthew 20, verse 28. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give His life as a ransom for many. In other words, Jesus says, you know what? This is, if you want my whole life uh, boiled down, crystallised into one sentence, here it is. I've come to serve other people. It's about others. No wonder Christians are famous throughout all of history for being the people that will take on the problems nobody else will. When Mother Teresa went to India, nobody was doing anything to help. They were dying on the streets. She said, I'm gonna go and be a part of the answer. Everyone told her that she was crazy. They said, they're not worth it. They've got no value. They don't matter. People were saying, you might catch a bad disease. But she said, I'm leaving my home and I'm going somewhere because I've got the same predisposition as Jesus. That's the predisposition to serving others. That's why in this church, over half our church, half of everyone that says Metro is their home is involved some way or other in something we know about. Now, many more besides that. I never want to take away from all the great work that I know that people in this church do outside of here and that never carries the Metro name or badge. And can I say well done, however it is, that you are being a part of an answer and that you are serving other people. I would say God bless you because Jesus actually said that when I serve others, I'm actually serving Him. And it says in Matthew 25, verse 37, Then the righteous will answer Him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and pray? Oh no, He didn't say and pray for you. When did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in? Or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison? What were you in there for? You were in prison and we came to you. And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it unto one of these, the least of these, my brethren, you actually did it to me. I am amazed how much, you know, just within the life of this church, the place I know best, to see the amount of that kind of stuff going on. It seems to me almost every week I'll hear another story about somebody in our church who was in need and I think, oh, we'd better organise something or we'd better get someone to go. And, or then I hear that, no, somebody's already doing it. That somebody in the church, can I say to you, that ought to be the story of the church. The church is not the clergy, whatever that is, uh, the paid staff, but it's actually all of us saying, I'm going to be a part of the answer. I've got a predisposition to help other people. A predisposition to answers. Maybe you're not all the answer, but you can certainly be a major part of the answer. You can do something to help other people. It's an old story and some of you will have heard it before. But you know, there was a, a dad takes his son down to the beach and the little turtles, hatchlings have come out and they're struggling and doing what little turtles do to quickly get down into the safety of the water. 
And the seagulls, of course, have given up the hot chips for the day. And they are swooping down on these poor little defenceless baby turtles. And they're swooping them, go, woohoo, get past the shell and you've really got something good. And uh, they're doing all that. And the little boy lets go his father's hand and goes and picks up a little turtle hatchling out of the hundreds that are there. And he gently carries it down to the water and he lets it go. And the father, of course, vastly more experienced than the boy. He says, son, really it's hopeless. Look at all the seagulls. Look how many turtle hatchlings there are. It's, it's, it's hopeless. It's a waste of time. Why bother? You can't really fix the problem. And the little boy looks up at his dad and he says, but dad, he says, I helped that one. Really, I can't solve it all. Maybe there's something or other around it. You know, in our world, we are so told how many problems there are. I can't solve them all, but I can solve one. Amen. I may not be able to lead everyone to Christ, but I can lead one. I may not be able to, to love everybody, but I can lead one. And not about the rest of you here, but I struggle with some things because I think, well, but, you know, I said to Rhonda the other day, what if they're Jesus? And I didn't help them. I really do think people say to me, oh, you shouldn't do that. And what about this? And it might be all bad. And what if they're this? And what if, you know, and all the reasons why can get in the road. And I always think, yeah, but what if it turns out they were Jesus and I walked past them? Because He was in prison. I don't know what He was there for. And Jesus was hungry. Why didn't He just make some bread? But apparently in this case, he was waiting for a human to come and give it. And, and he needed clothing. And you kind of go, well, whatever happened to your seamless garment? They gambled again. Well, that's maybe why he didn't have it. A predisposition to helping others was a part of Jesus' life. Here's number three. The third predisposition in Jesus' life was a predisposition to the creative. Verse six, when he had said these things, he spat. Well, that's what he did. If you'd been there, there wasn't some holy form of spitting. There wasn't your kind of spitting and then son of God spitting. That's what he did. And then he bends down. It says there, and he made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the cloth. Now think about it a minute. It wasn't special dirt that came from, you know, underneath the throne of St. Peter, you know, at the Basilica in Rome. It wasn't from the wailing wall. It wasn't from some holy site. It was the ground they're walking on. Amen. It wasn't from the top of Mount Sinai. It wasn't the dust that had clinged to the bottom of the Ten Commandments. It wasn't sacred dirt that had been kept inside the Ark of the Covenant that Jesus carried around. You know, when you see these oil that was blessed on Mount Sinai, you know, and, and as though somehow or other it's special because it's there and water that came out of the River Jordan. I've been to the River Jordan. It's dirty. And all these people line up and get rebaptized, and I'm going... Thanks, but no thanks. I'll stick with the one I had back in Australia. Hundreds, maybe even thousands of people have walked on that very speck of dirt. They've brushed the dirt from their clothes, but only one person ever 
for that dirt could be an agent of healing. Think about it a minute. Because when I read the Gospels, I see that Jesus was creative about ministry. It was never seemingly the same way every time. He has saw a creative use for the familiar and for the ordinary and for the everyday. And that's been one of the things that we've continually sought to do. I said to Jeremy during the week, I said, I'm really good at starting things and I'm really good at stopping them. Why? Because creativity is an ever-flowing stream. We don't start being creative and then stop. We're going to keep on going and keep on finding new ways and different ways. We don't do things the same way. I was uh, YouTubing this week because that really old song got stuck in my head. I can't remember what it was. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the part, whatever it was. I thought I haven't heard that song sung for a hundred years. I'll bet it's on YouTube. I'm sitting at my office, Pastor Bruce is in the office diagonally opposite and I tortured him for the next hour <laughs> with all these old songs from out of my childhood. All these old songs at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. There shall be showers of blessing. Send them upon us, O oh Lord. And I'm playing all these old songs. And, and you know, really, I don't think they were more anointed, more appointed. I've heard people say, well, back then they had good theology. Oh, rubbish. Running over, running. Where's the theology in that? Huh? Huh? But anyway, so... I'm watching these, but the thing I was interested in, I happened to scroll down a bit in the comments page and there were all these comments of people saying, oh, thank God, yes, that's the real worship right there. And I thank God. One person even said, and look, the women are wearing hats. <laughs> now, quite frankly, there's all different kinds of music. I toy with the idea of starting another service that we just sing hymns. I've done that one once. Uh, I toy with starting a country and western service. <laughs> Yeehaw. Wouldn't that be cool? Instead of saying hallelujah, you go, Yeehaw. <laughs> Instead of praise God, you go, Sick him, Jesus. Right? Or something like that. But the reality is, all those stuff is going to change. Never fall in love with yesterday, because yesterday's not where your future is. Amen. And so this man actually is creatively healed. And Jesus has a predisposition towards the Creator. Listen to me this morning. Are you stuck with a problem that you keep on grinding? There'd be parents here and you're nagging somebody or other in your life. You're maybe a spouse. You're nagging, you're nagging. And you've worn a rut so deep, you know, and you know that literally a rut is just a grave with the ends kicked out. And you've just worn the thing so far down. Come on, now, now's the time to get creative about it. Have you got a boss? And every Monday you go to work going, oh God, I hate this job. Nobody here, of course. But think about it. Maybe it's the time for you to get creative about the way you're approaching it. Huh? Sometimes I drive a different way to church just because my brain gets so much on autopilot, I just go the same way. So sometimes I just drive a different way. 
I know you're looking at me a bit like, he's a weirdo. Have you got a predisposition to the creative? Come on. Come on, if you're a leader here, you just keep on doing it. Now, change for change's sake is not what I'm talking about. But if you've got a predisposition towards the creative, amen? Yeah. Here's number four, fourth one. Jesus had a predisposition to the supernatural. That's why prayer is such a big part of Jesus' ministry and the ministry of the early church. Before He chooses the disciples, He spends all night in prayer. Before He goes to the cross, He spends all night in prayer. Before the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit, it's 10 days in the upper room in prayer. Before Peter gets the revelation about the Gentiles coming into the kingdom, he's in prayer when the revelation comes. When John gets the vision of the end times and Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords, he's in prayer when he gets it. Why? Because prayer is simply a supernatural conduit by which the will of heaven comes to pass on earth. That's why we pray, Thy will be done. It's a prayer thing. It's not just a thinking thing. It's a prayer thing. God let your will be done. I do not believe that it's possible to pray any prayer with sincerity and even the tiniest smidgen of faith for that prayer to be a waste of time. I don't know what you're praying for. I showed a couple of weeks ago or read this story about the Berlin Wall coming down and that that I never knew. I had never read it before, but it started with a prayer meeting with seven people in it. And for the first couple of years, it never got more than 12. But then overnight, it went from 12 people praying. It ended up with 300,000 people coming together. And within a month, the Berlin Wall had come down. Jesus had a predisposition to the supernatural. Listen, prayer's not a waste of time. It's the best use of time. Amen. If you wake up in the middle of the night, just for some other reason, other than, you know, you need to get up then. Why don't you do what a lot of us do? We'll lay there praying for whoever and whatever and just keep praying for them. Amen. That's why we have a prayer team. Next Sunday, I'm launching the prayer project. For the next 90 days, we're going to ask everybody that can to be a part of a multiplicity of ways that you're going to be able to pray. Because I feel like as a church right now in this year of enlarge, we want to take time to go, God, we're not just going to work, but we're going to pray and seek your face for these things. A predisposition to the supernatural. Lastly, Jesus had a predisposition to the truth. Religion only had two responses, his fault or his parents. And I want you to notice that neither of those answers would have helped one iota. If he'd said it was the man's fault, well, so what? He's still blind. If he'd said it was the parent's fault, so what? He's still in the same position. Listen, truth does not ever Truth doesn't give you someone to blame. You've got to say that in this year of 2019 because it seems to me that everybody around our society is going, you know what? The truth is it's your fault. No, that's not truth. That might just be the facts. Truth doesn't give you someone to blame because that merely shifts guilt from you to somewhere else. Truth always removes guilt. John 8 verse 32, Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will not inform you. The truth will set you free. 
Religion talks about the problem. Jesus gives an answer to the problem. Religion gives you rules. Jesus gives you relationship. Religion points the finger. Jesus extends His hand. Religion gives you ceremonies, but Christ will give you closeness in your life. Religion offers no life at all, but Jesus Christ gives abundant life. Uh, I, I, you know, think about these things and go, oh God, I want to have a predisposition to answers in my life. I've wasted too much time thinking about who did what and how it happened and where we got there rather than going, but what are the answers to this? I want to have a predisposition to helping others, a predisposition to the creative. There is an answer, a predisposition to the supernatural and a predisposition to truth in Jesus' Name. Amen. Heavenly Father, help us this morning. As we go into our tomorrows and into the great future that you put in front of us, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are going to give us day by day. You're going to change our predispositions to line up with the ones that Jesus had. Give us a predisposition to answers. That's where we focused. We're not going to waste our time on whose fault it is. We're going to zero in and what can we do? A predisposition, Lord, to helping other people and to being creative. To the supernatural, we, we're going to welcome your help into that space. We're going to pray about it because prayer is where you invade our world. And a predisposition to truth that actually changes things. We thank you for that in Jesus' Name. Heavenly Father, I pray for people that are here and people that are watching and listening who've never really encountered You. Maybe they've encountered religion, but they've never encountered You. Lord, they've gone into the space where they know a bit about You maybe, or they've heard about You, or they've met a real live Christian and something about that has challenged them and spoken to them and they go, they're different. But God, maybe they've never thought, well, that could be them. And God, I pray for them today as the Holy Spirit whispers to people that are watching and listening and people that are here and says, that could be you. You could have that. That could be your life. Because Jesus, you didn't say you came for a special few. He says, for God so loved the world. That's gotta be us. That if we would believe, that can be us. We'd have eternal life. That's certainly us. We thank You for it in Jesus' Name. Thank You, Holy Spirit. Just while heads are bowed, eyes are closed, maybe today that's you and you say, Pastor, would you pray for me right now, right where I am? Jeff, I don't know Jesus or Jeff, I'm away from God. I want to come back to Him this morning. I'd really love to pray for you right where you are, right where you sit. Help you this morning to take that step of, of saying to Jesus, I, I'm trusting you with my whole life, just like we sang. I believe there are people like that here today. If that's you, just give me a wave if you would. Lift your hand, put it back down again. I'd love to pray with you right where you are. Thank you. God bless you. Who else? Just wherever you are. Thank you over there. Yep. God bless you. Who else? Just wherever you are. So that's me. Jeff, today I want to do that. I want to take the next step. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm going to help you today. Is there anybody else? Then we're going to pray together this prayer. And I'm going to ask all of us to pray it because it'll encourage those people that are saying it for the first time. Lord Jesus, thank You for dying for me because I matter to You. I need Your forgiveness. I want Your peace. I need Your help. Come into my life 
right now. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Amen, Amen, Amen. God bless you. Let's give those people a big hand and all other ones. One of the best things you'll ever do. Someone again was talking about, I reckon almost every week somebody talks to me about the power of Yes Text. I think it's been one of the greatest things we've ever done as a church. There's been a lot of great things. The EFM's another one. There's a lot of them. Uh, but certainly Yes Text has been so powerful for people's lives. Because simply by texting Yes to 488 or going online to yes.metrochurch.org.au, you can start every day receiving a Scripture and a prayer that'll help you begin following Christ. The Bible doesn't call us believers just for a moment. It calls us disciples. That means people that keep following, people that keep going. And the power certainly starts in the moment, but the power of it continues. I thank God. You know, when I gave my life to Jesus, there was about a million things I didn't know. Well, there's probably still a million I don't know, but I do know that my life has grown. I do know I've got stronger. I'd love you to text yes. Why yes? You can opt out anytime you like. It goes for 30 days. Then there's follow-up uh, series you can opt into at every point you get asked, do you want to? And we'd love to be a help with you and for you. There are people here like Foal, Maula Paula. I saw him here somewhere this morning up over the back there. There's people like that that are here. Go to the Connect Hub or talk to somebody who looks like they know something here. And we'd love to help point you in the right direction for that in Jesus' Name. Amen. Amen. We're just so glad. Let's give him another hand. Just say, well done. Well, lots of you will know that we've been in a great season of giving called Destiny Offering. And uh, what a, a beautiful season it always is that we get to be a part of being, a, uh, I guess, part of the answer in so many great ways. And this morning is a part of Destiny Offering Celebration Sunday because that's what today is. We're going to share communion together. The greatest gift ever given in the history of man was Christ laying down His life. And that's what this table here represents. I love the display here, the five lights in front of together because that was our theme for uh, Destiny Offering this year, together. What we can't do individually, we can certainly do together. And so I'd love it if the host would come and begin to service. It's our custom here that we wait until everyone's been served. We all take a piece of the bread and the cup. And then when everyone's been served, we'll stand together as the family of God that we are. And then we will eat together. So if you're a believer, this is for you, whether you're a part of this church or not. The table doesn't belong to a denomination or a label. It belongs to Christ. It's His table. And so please feel free to do that. Just take a bit of the bread, take the cup. We'll eat and drink together in a moment. I'll lead you in that. And by the way, the team up here have already done that before the service. We did that together. I was thinking this morning on the drive into church about this verse in Luke 22. It's verse 15, but just to give a quick context, verse 14 says, And when the hour had come, He sat down. This is at the 
Passover at the Last Supper, we call it, and the 12 apostles with Him. Now I want you to watch, it's an extraordinary statement. And He said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. There is no doubt that it's the most difficult moment of Jesus' entire life. So much so that He prays in the garden saying, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. It's so horrific that physical death alone would have been mind-numbingly horrific. And yet add to that the fact that on the cross, the Scripture says, all of your sin and mine was piled onto Him and it became sin for us. And so I would understand it if this Passover, Jesus has said, you guys go and have it without me. I can't be with people. I've met people like that going, I'm going through so much stress. Leave me alone. Stay away. I need just solitude. Leave me with my thoughts, but not Jesus. Jesus said with fervent desire, He said, I've been waiting for the moment to have this with you. And I'm not sure whether it was simply because gathered together with them, brought home the the absolute reality that everything He's about to do was for the sake of others. This cup and this bread that we are holding, some of us and others are about to hold, is actually the sign of God's heart for other people. Every time you take it, the Scripture says we show forth the Lord's death till He comes. But I'll tell you what else we show forth. We show forth that it was never just about me. It was never just about us. It was always about other people. It was always about the people that aren't here yet. It was always about the people we love and the people we know and the people we will uh, intersect with who don't know Jesus. Because the greatest thing in the life of this church is always the moment we just had where people say yes to Christ. It's never going to be about the high points of new songs or, or what we feel, but it's always going to be about other people saying yes to Christ. Always. Wherever you go this week, you're holding in your hands right now the reminder that it's actually about other people. He said with fervent desire, I've desired to eat it with you. Not alone. What an amazing thing it is. Can we stand together? You've got it in your hands, the bread, which the Scripture says, Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat all of it. In like manner, He took the cup. He said, this cup is the New Testament, the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many. Take and drink all of it. Father, today we do that. We honour You in this moment. But God, I pray that every single one of us, Lord, sometimes loving others is difficult. Sometimes it's downright frustrating. Sometimes, Lord, our best efforts go unrewarded or unnoticed. And yet, Lord, on this night where You get betrayed, lots of people fail You, but You still went to the cross. When You're on the cross, there's only three people standing that love You, but You stayed there. God, give us the kind of hearts that say, you know what, it doesn't matter how people respond. What matters is how I 
live for God. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' Name. We eat and drink in Your honour. And we eat and drink mindful of others, Lord, in Jesus' Name.